to talk about some movies that are really long, and that's what we're talking about. Oh, not my best work, but I tried. But that was a. Uh... Oh, that was a uh, that song. Yeah, I know that song. I will survive. Yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that song. That's a good song. Hey, hey, Jeremy, how did you survive making your list this week for the movies that deserve to be over two and a half hours long? Whoa! How did you tie that all together so quickly, JT? That was beautiful. <laughs> uh, I had the easiest and hardest time at the same time. Like. It wasn't hard to find the movies because when you just sit down for a moment and start thinking to yourself, like, what's a long movie I've seen? You'll, you'll instantly start rattling off a few. But then you start to realize that you really only have two categories of long movies. The, you know, under, like a four and under or like a seven and a half and above. And that's, you know, like, there's not a lot of Xanadus in this list. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's true. So that's true. then it got to that, like, not quite as difficult. Actually, it's funny. It was a little easier than the heist caper movie uh, episode for me. That one, for whatever reason, I felt like I just I just couldn't choose. Here, I kind of knew where I wanted to go. I kind of knew which ones I didn't really want to talk about as much and which ones really felt it for me. How about yourself? So similar. Uh, this one required research, which I've been on like this let's not research kick for the past couple of podcasts for some reason. But this one, like I actually had to physically go look at some things, not look for things, but like verify that I knew what I was talking about when I was like, that's a long movie. Uh, very often I found that any movie I thought of that was long, I liked. Like there was very few that I mm. thought of, like there's like maybe only three or four where I was like, that's a long movie and I hate it. Most of the stuff that came to my mind that's a long movie, I was like, oh, and I really liked it. Oh, and I really liked it. Uh, I actually had no trouble putting the list together as far as like all of the movies in contention. I, as you know, I got to my fifth movie about six minutes ago. <laughs> so right. it's um, – which is a good thing. I actually – I prefer that. Like I, I wasn't struggling because none of them were deserving. I struggled because I felt like a lot of them were deserving. And so this week I actually very actively tried to take – the path of let's talk about some movies that I haven't talked about yet, because a couple that I have talked about, not necessarily at length, but before are definitely in this category, but wanted to do something different. So I actually had a lot of fun with this week and I'm, I'm excited. Same. And, you know, for everybody's sake, we, we had a little pre-chat and agreed that we're deliberately taking a couple of those movies that sort of keep hitting our list and they won't necessarily be in that top five, but we'll 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 save that a little bit for later. We got something special to do with those too. We got we got yeah. all sorts of specialness. True. Speaking of special, every week you have a special Excel spreadsheet that gets updated. Jeremy, tell us about your spreadsheet this week. All right, JT. Well, here are the categories. I, I, actually, this is what took me the long. Funny enough, figuring out how I wanted to think about my little rubric this week took a while. So, as always, I've got the movies and the cast. I have two different notes on length of the movie. So I have one that I call the third act. I think a lot of longer movies suffer from tendedly either bloated third acts or um, or just not great third acts is, is actually I think the truth of it. The other one I put in is the actual payoff, like the finale. Mm. You know, does it hit a note so hard that you're like, oh man, that was just, oh, you know, you walk away like, wow, kind of thing. The other categories, I have a rewatchability because I think if you're going to make a really long movie, that's got to be a factor. And it doesn't mean that it can't be a great movie if it's not that rewatchable, 
but I figured I would use that as part of my rubric. I have bloat. So movies where I could think about the movie and be like, you know, you could cut that 20 minute scene entirely and the movie wouldn't really suffer from it. And I have epicness, which is, you know, if you're going to do a three or so, two and a half, three, and by the way, I got one that clocks in just under four. If you're going to do those kind of movies, how grand is the story you're telling, right? Is it, you know, maybe it's like a real time three hour adventure, which is fine. Or maybe it's a sprawling epic over 20 years or something like that. So those are my categories. I weighted as follows. Uh, Rewatchability was actually the highest factor. And the lowest factor uh, was third act. I felt that I would give those a little bit of a a wash if, if, if need be. Fair enough. I love payoff because I found myself when trying to actually get to my top five, the thing that pushed things in and got and kept some things out was bloat for me is kind of the most obvious one. And it's like a two and a half hour movie. It's like, could I have made this less than two and a half hours? And if the answer was yes, then I tried to keep out of my top five for sure and potentially off of Pong. Right. But payoff was for me was the thing that wound up being like the most important because I was like, okay, when you get to the end, do you go, I'm I'm here for everything that got me here? Or was it like, oh, I was really enjoying myself and this is what I get left with? Like that to me was a big one. So I love that as a I hadn't thought of calling it payoff. I love that. Well done. Big fan. Speaking of payoff, you know a movie has a great payoff? Shawshank Redemption has a great payoff. Sure does. <laughs> it sure does. By the way, as we enter the Shawshank section today, it was my first Google search. How long is that movie? <laughs> Me too. It's the same thing. <laughs> I have a few obsession, like with every category is like, well, Shawshank can't be part of this one too, can it? <laughs> and it doesn't. I think it was two hours, 21, if I'm, if memory serves, but I don't, somewhere around there. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. So for Shawshank this week, uh, Jeremy, I struggled with this. I'm curious to, I have a feeling we're both going to have at least one, if not more. I have three. I have two. Okay. So I have one that I think is sort of a, to me, it's kind of a given. So again, the the Shawshank is Shawshank is the most rewatchable movie. So is there one that sort of just defines the genre of whatever we're talking about? So being that this is like really long movies, I have one that clocks in two minutes under four hours, which to me, based on when it was made and what it means to movies in general, becomes very very Shawshankable, and it came out on January seventeenth of nineteen forty. Wow. Um, I'm guessing that that's Gone with the Wind. It's Gone with the Wind. Yeah, I'm not going to go with the Shawshank on that one. And, okay, that's totally fair. Uh, only a couple of reasons is one, I, I don't, when I think about like my own little rubric there, I think it's going to miss on a bunch of parts. Like, I think it is a yeah. bit of a bloated movie in a way. Yeah, it's bloated for sure. Like, it's bloated for sure. That, you know, it's interesting though, because you could cut an hour from it and you still are over two and a half hours. And then you probably end up with a fairly tight movie. So the reason that I had it as a Shawshank is that it's so it's like obnoxiously long, right? <laughs> like it it's genuinely is. It's two movies. But the thing with Gone with the Wind is that when I think of the fact that it came out in 1940, I think it's the archetype for making 
film that could be that long and being unapologetic about it. And so for that, that specifically is the reason I'm like, there's a bunch of movies that are long after this because that movie was long and successful. And so this sort of opened the door for sure. You want to make a movie that's a day long, have a good time. Like that's sort of what this did. You got six hours. We'll take it. Yeah. And by the way, let me, let's just make a quick sort of disclaimer that people have been listening for a while have picked up on another shtick we, we hope is that we're not going to judge movies or actor. I mean, we sort of judge them for maybe content that, that doesn't quite hold up today, but we're, we're going to appreciate them for the, for the filmmaking and the, et cetera, rather than the, all of the, the problems that we could, the Pandora's box will not be opened Correct. on today's podcast. We'll just leave it at that. Fair. So I'm, I'm comfortable with you not into it. The, the I just wanted to sort of justify why it was for me because it's not so much, I agree. Like I think you probably could cut an hour and a half out of it and it's it's still a two and a half hour movie. And so it, I, I think more so, again, defining the category, movies that are over two and a half hours, I wonder how long it would have taken people to make movies that long if Gone with the Wind wasn't as, as, as big of a success as it was. Yeah, it's a, you know what, JT, I really... I think this is one of those moments where like you, you've hit me with something that like, I, I, I didn't even consider it cause it's not one of my favorite movies. Me neither. Uh, right I just remember feeling like it's just so slow and plodding in so many ways, but yep. considering I actually have two entries on my list where I think they were so groundbreaking that that's part of why they're in the list. I think I'm going to, to overwrite myself and, and allow it. And I'm going to, I'm going to embrace the, the uh, the the director's recut of Gone with the Wind that does in fact cut a good hour off that movie and brings it to two fifty eight instead of three fifty eight. <laughs> so that version, I'll take. I accept. I'm in. I'm totally in. All right. So what's what's what are your one of your two? Well, I think my first one is incredibly obvious. So I'm not going to play any games with it. That would be The Godfather. Okay, awesome. So I have, so I'm going to tell you that my number two and number three are The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. Well, that's my number two. <laughs> okay, per, okay. So then we're perfect because yeah. those those two movies. Yeah, I I don't think we need to get into it because it's nope. it's that obvious. Like that's they're The Godfather, the the yeah. two of them, not number three, but those two, obviously. But you have heard about the new uh, The Godfather Coda, which uh, is coming out. Probably like so the same day as this podcast will go out, where Coppola just recut yeah. Godfather Three to something that could be re- really kind of good, and I'm I'm excited to rewatch that one. Yeah, I'm excited to see a recut because that's one that I think is begging for it. So. Agreed. Yeah, <laughs> and and by the way, just since I don't have other entries, which I'm sure some some of our friends will be listening to, you, like I'm sure Jeremy has a couple of the movies that he considers near perfect. I don't. I think these are the only two movies that I would put up there as, as I don't think you could cut minutes from these movies, seconds from these movies and have them be as perfect as they are. So yeah, Godfather one and two love it. All right. We are aligned. And that means that we get to get into our top five and Jeremy this week, you get to kick us off. All right. So this year, this year, this, this week's format for our, for our little game is uh, the year of the Metacritic and the running time of the movie. So that's all one bit. Uh, A cast member or two. I actually have a couple where I actually go as many as four different cast members for you just to have some funsies with it. The synopsis of the movie in our own little clever way of saying it. And then some final other piece of information. Could be a quote, could be trivia, could be more shtick. Whatever we want to, a little potpourri. Love it. All right. 1954. 
a Metacritic score of 98. Uh, I'm already guessing you haven't seen this movie. I don't know. Three hours and 27 minutes long. It is 19th all time on the IMDb. And in the Jeremy Unadjusted Rubric scale, it's 107.5. It is worth me referencing, by the way, at this point, the scale this week goes from a 62.5 to 109.5, uh, which was held by The Godfather. Okay, so this is very high. Uh, I know exactly what this is. Because this, I think I know now? exactly. Yeah, I'm assuming that this is Seven Samurai. It is. Okay. So I will let you have it because you go first, but I'm telling you right now, I am not removing this from my top five. No problem. Uh, <laughs> by the way, this should have also been said slightly earlier. I'm predicting that of our 30 odd top five plus Pong, we will have no less than 20 in common. I agree. Okay. All right. So, the, the, well, let me let me say a couple of the things I was going to say before. Uh, first of all, this was eventually this was these were my clues. Um, the lead actor is the one uh, Toshiro Mifune. Yep. With a hundred and eighty-five acting credits to his name, by the way, like this guy was awesome. And do you know what role he almost had? I don't. Obi Wan Kenobi. Really? Yeah. Oh, he was a top contender to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. He also almost became uh, Mr. Miyagi. That would be less funny, but also interesting. I'm not, now that I think about it, it's not a huge surprise because I know that Seven Samurai is like George Lucas's favorite film. Exactly. So uh, my, my, my shtick here was, this movie was eventually remade as The Three Amigos and <laughs> firmly defines the trope of small village needs to be saved by traveling warriors against overwhelming odds. Yeah, so mine was, in order to save the world, a group of reluctant heroes must assemble to fight off bad guys for a group of good guys. Nice. All right. <laughs> uh, and then the last clue was Kurosawa. Because uh, yeah. I actually, you know, we've never hit this genre before, and I really had no idea. These are kind of, that sec these are those group of movies, sort of like the Studio Ghibli animated movies, where if you've never seen any of them, you don't know anything about them, or right. you've seen tons of stuff and, and know a lot about it, like Rashomon and, and Hidden Fortress and all that. Yep. So uh, here's my shtick, and then, then I want to hear yours. Uh, so I consider Seven Samurai a work of near perfection. I don't think you can make this movie anymore. It's this. I have this very weird balance of it where action movies today are just too fast, and there's too much action in Seven Samurai to really call it a drama. It, it almost gets there, but not quite. Uh, I consider it exceptionally rewatchable, but yet it's increasingly difficult to introduce it to audiences who might not have seen it before, right? So I'll sit down and rewatch it every year or two. I don't even know if it's going to make the list of movies I, I show my kids until like maybe they're in their 20s or so. I, I don't know when to introduce it to someone these days because I fully vouch for it. And I wouldn't be shocked if anyone I vouch for it were like, yeah, I tried watching it. It felt a little hard to watch all 207 minutes of it because that's like, that's like, Two fasts and furiouses, <laughs> right? But also only contains actually is about as much action as they have before the title sequences go, right? Like if you really think about it, but it defines the trope in in every way. Like this is the body of work that defines that concept. The 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 quantity of books and movies and TV shows, and video games, and everything that come from this storyline is amazing. 
including one of our favorite shows, Mandalorian season one, episode four is a little seven samurai. Um, So I think it's one of those things where you have to know the original to do the rest. Like, like you were just saying about Gone with the Wind, like it's a great example where the derivative work benefits so much from the master. You can now make a 30 minute episode of a TV show that does the same thing, but you could never have really pulled it off without the three and a half hour prior art. And then my final kind of thoughts on it are, I think the directing performances, cinematography, like everything's really noteworthy here. This is, this is like an epic movie, even though it takes place in like small town Japan. Uh, And it's, I I wish like this is one of those like Alamo draft house should put this up like once a year at least. Yep. And, uh, and let it roll. It should be on like, uh, like July 7th. So it's like a seven, seven, seven. seven, Yeah. I like it. SS seven something. Anyhow, it's worth seeing on the huge screen. So if you haven't seen it and you want to give it a shot, find the biggest screen you can find uh, to watch this, by the way, black and white masterpiece with grainy, barely high def criterion collection, all the good stuff and the bad stuff at the same time. Now, uh, now I'd love to hear your take, sir. Sure. So I'm, I actually wrote something for this because of how much I love this movie. And so I'm going to rip through it. And uh, you, you hit on most of it, but I want to say it anyway. Now I want to hear yours. So there are a lot of reasons why this movie is incredible. Uh, so as I established in my little plot description thing, this movie is, in my opinion, appropriately credited with basically creating the framework for a modern action movie. Be it the use of slow motion, the idea of a reluctant hero, the grouping of people together to form a squad, all things that are now completely commonplace were not, specifically not together before this film. But that's not why it's on my list. It's on my list because 60 years later, this thing, in my opinion, still holds up. I agree with you that I don't know when you introduce it to someone, but if you know that it exists and you walk into it, this movie holds up. In black and white, subtitled with a literal intermission, I rewatched this movie last night because I didn't know if I could have this on my top five and watched all three hours of it and loved every single second of it. So the answer is yes, this is rewatchable for me. Kurosawa is one of the most deliberate filmmakers potentially of all time. This movie is not fast, but it's intentional. There is not a wasted scene, but also nothing's rushed. He lets you in on everything you need to know, but only in due time. He plants not-so-subtle seeds throughout the entire film and lets them grow on their own terms. It is a model in storytelling. Akiru is arguably his best total work, but I think Seven Samurai is a masterpiece, and I wouldn't change a single frame from where it is today. And that's why it had to be on my list and why I'm willing to basically give you a chance to go again because I can't take this one off. No, I, I love that. I, I, I don't, you know, we don't really deal with the we both had the same thing on our list too often. But I, really? I think this holds its place and, and belongs there. And I, th- I, I love your take on it. Uh, I think I hadn't really considered before your comment around this is an archetype for action movies in general. Uh, I, I think I, I sort of, I, I sort of like two thirds agree. I think the, but the part you reference about like assembling the crew, absolutely. Like you think about even going back to back to Star Wars, right? Like like the slow build of you just got Luke, and then you get you know, the old guy and then you get the ruffian and then you get the hairy guy and then you get the other one, you know? Yeah. Well, and they also have like, if you think about like Kakushio is, is the jokester, right? Like if you think about like guardians of the galaxy, it is seven samurai. Like it's the same thing. And, and the reason I say it's the archetype for action movies is it goes beyond just the grouping, but the idea of, again, reluctant heroism, the idea, like dude, his use of slow motion, 
his use of like lens flares, all these little things that just became normal. Like it's just commonplace now in every action movie. It's like, oh yeah, well, it's an action movie. Yeah, well, in 1954, it wasn't. Or 1956, it wasn't yet, right? The other thing that he did in this, which I didn't write, but I do think is, is worth mentioning, especially since you brought it up at the top of this. Um, if you think about like, this deals with, you know, Japanese culture and samurai culture. And it like, it's incredible the stance that he took in 1956, like it really is astounding because there's some moments in here that really went against what was sort of okay in Japanese culture back then for what he was standing up for. That if you look at now, it's still a little tough. The, the specifically the the love interest is there's still a little bit of a ugh there, yeah. <laughs> but but not as much as there could have been in comparison to basically anything else that came out in the 50s or 60s. So he deserves some credit for that. Where it was like he was kind of taking an early stance on don't be like this, let go of the cultural norms and be be less of a traditionalist, which is incredible. Uh, Kirisawa is amazing, obviously. So yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie. I, I had so much fun watching it again. I wish I knew that's what you were watching last night. That's very funny because I probably would have thrown it on myself. I, 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 but I couldn't tell you because I, I wasn't sure. We haven't no, talked good. about this. So I didn't know where Kirisawa was. So I wasn't sure if I was gonna be able to sneak this one in. But anyway, that, that brings us back to your turn. So you get to go again, sir. All right. I, by the way, I'm going in chronological order this time for no apparent reason. So, 1963, a Metacritic score of 86, two hours and 52 minutes runtime, 140th all time on IMDb, and 101.5 on my little spreadsheet. Okay. Uh, which only lost some points due to not as epic a scale overall, uh, though it is just a phenomenal otherwise movie. Ooh, I don't know yet. Keep going. Okay. The cast includes Charles Bronson and Richard, Richard Attenborough. Okay, I know both of those people. Like them both. Still not ringing a bell, which I should probably be embarrassed about by it by now, but I'm not. No, it's okay. Basically, it's the coolest jailbreak of all time that doesn't involve crawling through 500 yards of sewage. Okay, fair enough. Uh, still not a thing. Lastly, it's based on a true story. Okay. So we had a based on a true story episode and I don't, was this in your app? Was that, did we talk about this in that episode? I think it was in my Pong. I went, I went did a quick check and I, I remember it was, it was not in my, I don't believe it was in my top five. I think I was saving it for, for this purpose or for some future purpose. Okay. So this is, I do know what this is. Uh, it's, uh, it's the great escape, right? Is that it? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. So this is one that I, there's not really, this is not a thing for me. Have you ever seen it or never? So this is one where I honestly, kind of when we do the 1980s, did you see Krell? I don't, I think so, but I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty okay. sure. The movie's great. It's directed by John Sturges, who, interestingly enough, directed The Magnificent Seven, also starring Steve McQueen, James Coburn, and Charles Bronson from this movie, and also Amazing. scored by Elmer Bernstein. So they definitely put that band back together. And I deliberately had this one after Seven Samurai to make that reference. Sure. <laughs> so I think this is possibly the best jailbreak, World War II, Avengers Assemble, Caper, and any <laughs> other genre that you could throw at it movie of all time. And I'm not even kidding about that. Like whatever category it fits into, I think it might be the best of that category. So unlike what I was saying about Seven Samurai, and I think what you sort of echoed is that this movie still works today very well. It, it is it is fast moving. I think again, if you were to do it today, you just speed everything up and yep. all that kind of good stuff. But there's a lot happening throughout this movie, and it's all captivating. There's 
constant little moments of suspense and intrigue. There's clever characters. James Coburn plays the equivalent of Red from Shawshank, the, the guy who can get you anything. James Coburn nice. plays that role. I could argue that in a way, Morgan Freeman must have been somewhat inspired by his performance because he has sort of this fun, loving, a little cocky, but not actually cocky. Well, Coburn goes a little over the top, but he, he deserves it. It's James Coburn. <laughs> Um, I, I also think that it makes so much, the same list as like every war, whenever you're looking at like top 10 war movies, Great Escape's on it. But given how modern special effects and storytelling have changed the way we make war movies and action movies and all that, and that they do become a little harder to watch without good special effects, this is that rare war film that you can rewatch with just as much edge on your seat excitement as any modern action flick. Like, I think this can be just as, heart pounding as a, as a diehard or as a fast and furious kind of movie uh, with a lot less cars. And then <laughs> nice. final point on this is, you know, McQueen is as McQueeny as he can be. Like he is great in this movie and he carries it so well, even though it's like this ensemble cast, there's something about McQueen's performance that is just so much fun. If I'm being, you know, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, I think his performance in Papillon is his actual best on screen work. But this is a close, close second for me. The cast is amazing. The action drama balance is nice. Like it, it's a story. There's character arcs. Things happen to the characters. Like I, I don't want to spoil things for you now that I'm going to force you to watch this movie in some way, whether we'll co-watch or whatever. But all things happen to all of the characters over the course of the of the storytelling. So great film, just a lot of fun to watch and really holds up. Love it. Yeah, I want to put this on the I just watch list for me because I, I, I really do think I've seen it, but I don't think I've seen it in a very long time. And it definitely didn't impact me the way that it probably should have based on when I saw it. So I'm totally down for watching this. Maybe it's the town for you, for me, you. Maybe. Me. One of you? us. Sure. Me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your number two? All right. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this one just a little bit. I struggled immensely with whether this was going to be my top five or not. And I'll talk about why in a minute, but I want to do the guessing game first, but I just want to get it out before you even guess. So this came out February 4th, 1994, with a runtime of three hours and 15 minutes. That's funny, because I had another 94 movie. No, that's not mine. 314, okay. huh? Okay. I'll give you 315. I'll give you Ben Kingsley and Caroline Goodall. 1994? 1994. Okay. I'm feeling like I should know this already. So the, the plot I'll give you is an amazing man devises a scheme to ensure safety for a very, for a very persecuted people. Oh, I had this in a special category. You can keep, okay. Going. You can keep talking about Schindler's list. Yeah. It's Schindler's list. So, so here's the deal. There, there is some interesting trivia that I found. I don't want to go too deep on it, but um, some stuff that I pulled out specifically just because of other things we've talked about in the past. So to gather costumes for the 20,000 extras and because the economic conditions in Poland were so poor, the, the cast and crew overpaid uh, the people of Poland to get stuff from the 30s and 40s so that they could like influx, like actually have an influx in some capital, which I thought was amazing. Wow. Um, a thing I never knew, Harrison Ford was the first choice for the role, but he declined saying that some people would not be able to see past Indiana Jones persona and would therefore lose the importance of the film, which made me respect the heck out of Harrison Ford. 
Um, this one was specifically pulled for you. So Spielberg first showed John Williams a cut of the movie. Williams was so moved he had to leave uh, for several minutes. And he came inside basically crying and said, I, you deserve a better composer for this. To which Spielberg replied, I know, but they're all dead. <laughs> which I just, thought, <laughs> I just thought was really kind of interesting. And then lastly, uh, all of the residuals and royalties that go to Spielberg, he donates to a foundation uh, that specifically keeps the records and preserves the written and videotaped testimonies of survivors, which I think is incredible. Very quickly, why it's on my list. This is a remarkable film made about one of the greatest tragedies in recorded human history, and its place among the most important films ever made, in my opinion, is irrefutable. In an effort to keep this light and not get too into the detail as to why um, this is here, but not a second of this film can be changed. And I think it's fair to say that every second, no matter how gruesome or painful or uncomfortable it was, is necessary in the depiction of an event that we must never be too far in our rearview mirrors as human beings. So I thought about not including it in my top five because of the, the gravity of it, because of how serious it is, but I can't leave it out. It's too important. It's too well done. And it's the antithesis of don't remove a second from. So I, I just, I really thought about it a lot. And I was like, oh, there's so many fun movies. But I'm like, no, nah, this one is a movie that not only deserved the runtime it had, but deserves more. And I don't want anyone to touch it ever. Uh, I think what you just said is beautiful. The... Only thing I'm adding is the the only reason this doesn't make this list and so many others for me is I, I just I can't say this any other way. I just sort of don't want to talk about Schindler's List. Like it's no, such a, it's such a deep, heavy, important like what you said is like everything you said is right. And it's just so important and I don't really know what else to say. Like I don't want to judge its performances, I don't want to judge anything of it. I, I just want everybody to have seen it at least once and keep it in their memory somewhere. So thank I, you for, that, but thank you very much for bringing it up. I, I, I mean that utterly sincerely. Cause it's one of those, like, I just don't know how to not talk about it in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like, no. And like, I sincerely, I, I, I didn't want to for the same reason, but the more I kept looking at the stuff I was going to put in the list instead of it, I'm like, I can't like, this is like, this movie's more important and I can't remove myself from the, the, like what the movie's about, but it doesn't matter because like, you know, again, by definition, every minute of that three hours and 15 minutes needed to be shown. So there it is. Now we can move on to something different. <laughs> well said. And we'll move on. To, we're going to switch genres here so radically I can't even describe. 1994, a Metacritic score of 94. Clocks Ooh. in at two hours, 34 minutes. Eight oh, okay, highest yeah. movie on IMDb and 102 on the Jeremy Excel spreadsheet. Got to be Pulp Fiction if it's '94. It, it is Pulp Fiction. The okay. cast includes the cast clues were Amanda Plummer, Frank Whaley, Rosanna Arquette, and Eric Stoltz. Because it's one of those okay. like if you if you can't think about it, those those are all like who are like what are all those four actors doing in a movie together? Yeah, true. Yeah. What's your synopsis? Here, here it goes. There's a boxing match, a diner robbery, a drug overdose, some dancing, and an elongated discussion about the proper condiments to use with fast food. <laughs> That's so good. I have this in Pong, and mine was hip hitmen encounter a who's who of other A-list actors with a lot of cursing. Nice. My <laughs> final clue for you is going to be a briefcase features prominently in this movie. That's <laughs> yeah, great. It's great. Uh, yeah, talk about Pulp Fiction. I love this movie. I guess the briefcase is the sunglasses from They Live in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> All right. So I saw this movie a mere seven times the year it came out. 
mm-hmm. along with swing. This is this is an interestingly important movie for me. Along with Swingers, Clerks, and Jurassic Park, this movie those are the four movies I would argue in so many ways defined my college era movie going experience. Those are the movies that I saw for whatever reason the most times and were so profound in so many different ways. There was nothing like Pulp Fiction before it came out. Nothing like it at all. There, there had been violence, uh, but nothing like the violence in, in, in Pulp Fiction. And he managed to do it bef- without getting too gory. Yeah, there was you know blood splatter and whatnot, but it was it was the end. If there was ever a line to draw of like what's violent but not too violent for kind of anybody to see, I would say it ends at Pulp Fiction. And he, and actually might even go even this is a little over. Maybe maybe it's True Romance or. One of the other ones. Anyhow, the multi-story in one movie shtick had been done before, but never anything like this way of doing it before. In the past, it had been a little bit more baton passing, as it were. It'd be like seven stories in two hours. Here, it's more these six, five, eight. I don't really, you know, it's like how many stories actually are there, right? Yeah. But but the whole thing is the dialogue. The Dialogue from this movie was so profoundly different. And 1994 me didn't know any of this. But I'd argue that Tarantino has clearly written better films since this one. He has become a better storyteller. In Glorious Bastards, you know, I just watched Django Unchained a couple weeks back. They're they're unquestionably better written movies. But they don't... He never wrote like he did in this one. Um What's that quote from the end of Stand By Me? There's you make many friends in life, but none none like the ones you have when you're 13 or something like that. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> That's like this of writing for me. Like I had no idea at the time that he was like the early 90s pinch writer brought in to tighten up the dialogue on like every other movie that came out in, in the early 90s. Uh, Crimson Tide's a great example. He did the, the Silver Surfer bit. So I could make the argument that Tarantino through Pulp Fiction was responsible for bringing what I call the meta-ness of the geeky side of pulp, pulp culture, pop culture, not pop culture. There's lots of good dog movies. <laughs> the meta-ness of the geeky side of pop culture into the movies he was writing. And I think he normalized that concept. And I would argue that he's brought cool to people who were not, you know, jocks or good-looking people. Like, I think that's a lot of what Pulp Fiction really did. And so that writing combined with the extravagance and scene making, like the, the, the parts that, that I call like mildly bloated specifically Bruce Willis with his annoying girlfriend uh, are still super well-written. Like they're still interesting to hear. There are so many interesting scenes, the gold watch, the gimp, honey bunny, the wolf, like each of those moments, like you could be thinking about the whole, the, 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 the rap, the Jack was a Jack rabbit dancing scene and forget about the wolf scene. Like there's so much to this movie. So could you cut it down? Like, could you cut the core thing down here? Like an hour? Yeah, you probably actually could. You could probably cut like down to like four main core stories and have yourself a good movie. But why would you like, you'd have nothing interesting about it. Then you just sort of have a run of the mill action drama thing. So what I would sum up to say is, as Mr. Hammer once said, you cannot touch this. <laughs> uh, that is a, I'll tell you that that was in your rubric, you bringing in Mr. Hammer at the end made the third act and the payoff. So worth it. It was all worth <laughs> it. That was great. That was great. So well done. <laughs> uh, I do. I love what you said about that. There's something interesting 
to the idea that like before Tarantino knew better to be a better writer, it was almost more fun. Yeah. Because now he knows better and it's like, you see him being better, but I kind of miss him being worse. He was more fun with Reservoir Dogs than he was with Once Upon a Time, but all very, very good. And this is a great pick. I, I think his, his discovering uh, Christopher, Christoph Waits, is it? Is that how you pronounce it? Waltz? Waltz? White? Waltz? I think it's Waltz. Yeah. Uh, I think his, I think, I think he's like the perfect actor for Tarantino. It's why he's been in like all his recent film. He's the Tashira Mifune to Akira Kurosawa. There you go. There you go. Which is something that Tarantino would love to hear, by the way. Just being compared to Kurosawa at all would make him happy. Uh, so I, the only thing I will say in my defense is I tried very hard to keep Tarantino out of my top five because I have Tarantino'd a lot. And so Pulp Fiction was my like that. I have that on, on, on the list later for this was almost there, but I just talk about Tarantino too much. So my next one, I'm going to go to October 6, 2006. It is an 85 on Metacritic. It clocks in at two hours and 31 minutes. It just made it. October, 2006. Okay, go on. Yep. I'll give you Anthony Anderson, Ray Winston, Kevin Corrigan. All right. Uh, There's something with Anthony Anderson that's sticking in my head, but I can't remember what it is. So is he a hacker or something in this one? No, but I know which one you're thinking. That's very funny, but it's not that movie. No. Okay. All right. Go on. The synopsis I use now won't make sense because you picked up on Anthony Anderson, but it's still funny. Uh, The best white male actors in the U.S. do a movie for a pair of eyebrows about bad white guys in the whitest city in the U.S. I I love that definition, but I actually have no idea what movie it is. Keep going. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. What's one more thing I can give you? Roughly half of the $90 million budget went to actor salaries in this. So it's like one major ensemble cast kind of thing. It's a huge cast. 2006. You got me, buddy. This is Martin Scorsese being the pair of eyebrows, the Depatted. Ah, uh, I have that in Pong. I have that in Pong. Uh, my 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 simple description, was, by the way, was undercover undercover cop versus undercover criminal. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I just wanted to find a way to work in pair of eyebrows. <laughs> No, I like that. I, I was trying to remember, like, I was like, what, what is he trying to imply with that eyebrows thing? And that was, I, yeah. I couldn't get there. It's a great description. All right, go on. So it's the only remake of a foreign film to win an Academy Award for Best Picture, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Scorsese had a great line, which he said that this is the first movie I've ever done with a plot, <laughs> which made me laugh. Uh, one, one little fun sports thing for me is Nicholson refused to wear a Red Sox hat during filming. So he wears the Yankees hat, even though he's supposed to be Right, like, you know, this big, bad Boston guy, which always made me, like, happy. Some really interesting casting what-ifs before I get into why. So Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise were supposed to play Colin Sullivan and Billy Costigan in the beginning, which is crazy. That would have been a totally wow. different movie. Yeah. Uh, Sergeant Dingham, which was uh, Alec Baldwin's character, was Dennis Leary was up for it. Ray Liotta was up for it, which I could definitely see. And then Ethan Hawke, which I actually think would have been really interesting. Hmm. I think from our conversation last week, I would have liked to have seen Leary in the – I just kind of, you brought him up last week and now I just want to see Dennis Leary more. I love Dennis Leary. Yeah, go on. De Niro was supposed, was was on deck to be uh, Queenan, which is what uh, Martin Sheen played. And then up for Madeline, who eventually wound up being Vera Farmiga, but Emily Blunt, Hilary Swank, Kate Winslet, and Jennifer Aniston were all up for that role. Interesting. 
My favorite one is RZA was going to be Detective Brown, which eventually went to Anthony Anderson. RZA from Wu-Tang, which is great because Wu-Tang's for everybody. So why it made my list. This movie is ridiculous. When you talk about like modern day action, there is so much happening in this movie. It, it, there's so much happening. And you set me up perfectly for this with Pulp Fiction in the sense of there is at least six interwoven stories happening. Like there's the two main ones, right? Which is, uh, which is Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio. But then you have like these other little characters. You've got Mark Wahlberg's character and you've got obviously uh, Jack Nicholson's character. Like there's so many things happening. Then there's Martin Sheen who actually kind of plays a role. And then there's these, uh, there's so much going on. And at no point I was trying to think like, okay, how do I make this? Because all you got to do is cut two minutes and this doesn't make the cut because it's two hours (laughs) and 31 minutes. And I was like, all right, could I cut two minutes from this? And there's like one or two scenes. There's a doc scene. But then I was like, oh, no, actually, if you think about that, you really needed that to set this other thing up. And the more I went through at least my memory of it, I was like, I think I'd leave this alone. And so looking at the rest of my pong list, I'm like, you know what? Considering it just makes it and I can't think of any one glaring thing. And now I'm going to use your rubric. This was a payoff movie for me. The the way they tie this in the last 18 to 22 minutes of this movie are so ridiculously absurd and delightful. And it just does this incredible, like, didn't see it coming, but also that's the only way that this could have ended. I just thought this totally deserved to be up here. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot for something then, because I love what you just said. Uh, The Departed or Mean Streets? Ooh. Departed. Departed or Goodfellas? Oh, no. Uh, That's probably got to be Goodfellas. Departed or Casino? Funny. So Casino is on my pawn list. Um, And I I thought long and hard about Casino. I actually think these two are a draw because I think the things... I le- seriously, because like Casino is j- almost three hours. If Casino was two hours and 31 minutes, the answer is Casino. But because Casino has that extra 20 minutes, that th- those extra 27 minutes make me think they're probably about even because when Casino's good, it's better, but Departed doesn't have as much bloat. That's fair. I, I actually think I, I would, yeah, and, and Goodfellas clocks just under. I, um, I, think, I think this is definitely Scorsese's best longest work. And it's definitely top three. Fair. Yeah. Nice. I love what you said about it. Great pick, buddy. Thanks. Uh, so now I'm going to go do yet another crazy genre swaparoo here. The year is 1997. A Metacritic score of a lowly 62. Ooh. And a Jeremy adjusted 101.5. Okay. The cast includes, I will give you four names. David Morse. Tom Skerritt, John Hurt, and Jake Busey. Okay, those are all people that I kind of know but are obscure enough that nothing's jumping out at me, so well done on your picking. Thank you very much. I mean, there's no Anthony Anderson, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here's my my sort of summary. (laughs) Aliens send us a very cryptic mathematical formula, and then we build a fantastical contraption. 1997. Oh, God. This is going to be one of those like three movies that I always get wrong. <laughs> Could be. And lastly, a quote would be 
They should have sent a poet. Oh, I still, I literally have no idea what you're talking about right now. The movie is Contact. Oh, wow. Contact is more than two and a half hours? No, it's not. It is exactly two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> it hits the bingo. It was clocked awesome, in right at 2.30. Awesome, awesome. So what a cast. Uh, the cast on this movie is amazing. If you go look through it, beyond, like obviously Jodie Foster. So here's what I have about this one. First of all, it's Jodie Foster in her prime. Like this was that string of, except for Nell, this was that string of really great movies that she was she, she made. It's Matthew McConaughey as he decides basically to become a serious actor. Yep. Uh, by the way, on a quick bit of research, I had no idea that Days and Confused was actually his debut work. I, I thought that was sort of a, that he had done other things first, but it wasn't. That was his first uh, acting role. Interesting. I didn't know that either. That's cool. It's got Angela Bassett in a very strong role that is perfect for her. Mm. It's got John Hurt in a crazy role that he pulls off beautifully. And such an amazing set of cameos. Like, they get all the people to come do something. Like, sports figures, newscasters, celebrity, everybody just showed scientists. Like, people. I don't think Neil deGrasse Tyson, actually, in retrospect. I should go check that. He should be in this movie somewhere. Now, here's what I'll say here. This is an imperfect movie. This is not only the worst movie of my list, it's not better than half of my Pong movies, and I know it, and I'm okay with it. And and it's funny because it's almost like the opposite of Pulp Fiction from a perspective of like tight, gripping dialogue. It doesn't have any. The characters are so, in many ways, one-dimensional kind of archetypes, and there's a bunch of predictable stuff. But I also think as a movie, not as a film, but as a movie, it really works very well. It's a little pandering occasionally, but fundamentally, it's it's actually pretty deep. It's it's a rich sci-fi drama thriller fantasy. It's got some philosophical debates. It talks about religion. I mean, there's all sorts of things that go on. It's also fun. It's also serious. And I think it hits that perfect line of like being legit without being taking itself too seriously. If you know what I mean, like it gets campy with some of the science at sometimes, but it also gets all serious. Like plays it right. Uh, time flies through the movie. There's puzzles sort of unfolding like a, it's like a whodunit in space without a murder. I don't know. Uh, and I, I do think that the ending sequence with Jodie Foster and her dad, who's played by David Morse, who I do actually love as an actor, I think it's a bit of a miss. I think they could have bloated. That, that's my bloat section. But I don't mind because I'll watch this movie again anytime. I, I, it doesn't, like, again, I'm, I'm going to talk about other movies that are far better than it, but it's just a fun somehow is long enough without being too long. So contact. I didn't see this one coming. It's not on my pong list at all, but I absolutely love your description of it. And it makes me want to watch it again because it, it feels it feel it sounds more fun than I remember it being, but I'm also very like I, I watch movies differently now. So I, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm going to put this on my list of stuff to watch. That's a great pick. Nice. All right. Your fourth entry in the list. I'm going to go April 26th, 2019 with a 78% on Metacritic, clocking in at three hours and one minute. Can I get the date one more time, please? Sure. April 26th, 2019. Can you use it in a sentence? No, I'm just kidding. Um, 2019. Is it a... Uh, and what was the time run? Uh, three hours and one minute. Oh, I think this is probably Endgame. This is Endgame. Okay. 
Yeah, and I'm excited that you did it because I can't give you anybody in the cast, although I'm going to read through the cast because it's absurd. Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Mark Ruffalo, Jeremy Renner, Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace, Brie Larson, Tom Holland, Zoe Saldana, Renee Russo, Sebastian Stan, Karen Gillan, Tom Holland, uh, Paul Rudd, Don Cheadle, Benedict Cumberhoney, Elizabeth Olsen, and William Hurt. And that's just like the first page. There's more. It's absurd. My, I have two different little pithy ways to explain it. The first one is in order to save a world, a group of reluctant heroes must assemble to fight off the bad guys for a group of good guys. <laughs> so just bringing back in Seven Samurai. Uh, the next one is every actor you've ever known in a movie that needs to wrap up a minimum of 14 storylines in a single film. Nice. There you go. A couple of very small pieces of trivia. There's a bunch of like easy stuff here, but whatever. I thought I'd go through a, a few small ones. The final cameo by Stanley in a film, which I think was... It kind of wound up being very apropos, like that they wrapped this up and that Stanley got to be in it makes me happy. Uh, oddly enough, the scene at Avengers headquarters, I never thought of this, was actually Brie Larson's first day as Carol Danvers because they filmed this before they filmed her movie. Oh, that's interesting. That's weird, right? Like she had to come in hot. So she's walking into that universe that really did exist for all these other people acting as though she already had like done this entire other thing. So good for her. Uh, Endgame is the first film to reach over a billion dollars on opening weekend in theaters. Uh, it was shot back to back over a period of 200 days with Infinity War, which I didn't know, which is nuts. And then Robert Downey Jr. was the only person who read the entire script, apparently, which is interesting. Wow. So lastly, why it's on my list. Uh, it's Endgame. That's why. When this first started happening with Infinity War, I cannot tell you how mad I was at the time travel stuff. Truly. I hated it. I was like, this is so lazy. I thought it was so lazy. I'm like, what a bummer. Like, this is such an easy way in to make this happen. And I really felt like at one point they must have like boxed themselves into a corner and didn't know how to get out of it. After seeing this and how they handled it, I have come around so powerfully <laughs> on changing my mind on how they did it, right? Through the usage of time travel, the writers here have been able to not only put a very tight bow on an unreasonable amount of interwoven storylines, but also show a full range of loss, reunion, redemption, and resolve. It's a popcorn movie, but it's more than a popcorn movie. It shows sacrifice, it shows heart, and it shows compassion, and even more, even more so that it shows power, glory, and triumph. It is the most human of superhero movies, which makes it the most relatable, and for that reason, it might be my favorite they've ever done. Beautiful. I love it. You know, this is one of my favorite movies. I have it in my honorable mentions section, so it's not uh, it's not forgotten on me. Um, my my biggest beef with this movie, to be candid, is I do actually think it's bloated. I think I think the first hour you could take a half hour off that pretty pretty easily. I think while it's fun to see like Chubby Thor and all those things while watching it and, and this is my biggest ding on the movie is I remember in the theater looking at my watch, which I rarely like rarely do with a movie I love. And there was this point, I think it was like 50 minutes in where I'm like, I get it. I know what you're doing, but I feel like, I feel like other movies have done this before that said for the next two hours, it is one of the best movies I've ever seen. And, and that was my biggest glitch with the movie is I thought that the setup was just a little heavy without being heavy enough and light and, and, and not charmy, charmishing, charm, charm, charmful. I think that's the name of a Pokemon. Uh, <laughs> so don't get me wrong. I mean, this movie is like a nine point something in my, in my category. It's in almost all of my lists. 
The last hour is amazing. I think it's got 10 out of 10, everything other than like bloat, which is where I unfortunately give it a pretty high score. The, the other thing I think about when I think about this movie is how much I would have loved to see this maybe as like an 18 year old or 16 year old, how amazing that would be. I I often, when I rewatched this recently with uh, my middle child, Davin, he was just in awe of so much of it. And then I also want to touch on something else you said, which I think, I think was well stated that I don't, I don't think we've talked about these things before. I would argue that this is the best use of time travel in the time travel movie. It's tightly done. Yeah. Well, so I, that, so that's why I came around because I think I walked into it expecting it to be like every other time travel and time slip movie I've ever seen where at some point I go, doesn't make sense. But this one, if again, the, the big Jeremy rule, if we agree that time travel exists, <laughs> so moving beyond the first thought, Right. The way that they wound up doing this moved from lazy to really clever for me pretty quickly. And I, I think it was like really, 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 really smoothly done. I, I would have liked in the time travel bit, if, if, you, if you want me an example, like I could keep the runtime the same. I would take a little less out of that first sad earth time and give Tony a little bit more time on learning how time travel works. Like in Iron Man 1, he spends about 30 minutes trying to fly. So yeah. here it sort of looks like overnight he cooks up time travel. I have absolutely no, like, so I don't disagree with you on the bloat. The thing for me is I try, I thought of it and I was like, could I cut 30, you know, could I cut 31 minutes out? And the answer was maybe pretty close, but I don't know how much of that 31 has just because Marvel's so good at this. Like this is what they do has all these little moments that you needed for something in the end. And I'm not going to go back and do like a full blown retrospective of it. I was like, nah, it's probably like 20 minutes and I'd be really, really happy. But to your point and your rubric, the the third act in this is so out of this world. It's so, no pun intended. It's so good that so, I was like, yeah, forget it. Like it's, it's, it's nuts. So yeah. And again, for me, the big thing was this is the most human superhero movie. Absolutely. Right? Like I, I thought the one that probably comes closest to it might actually be Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Like there's a really human hmm. element to it which is really interesting. This one's uh, no spoilers because first of all, you better have seen this, but even if you haven't, it just came out. So we're going to stick to our rule here. This is too new to spoil. So I'm not going to say anything specifically, but the way they really kind of bring this home and, and make all of these superhumans human again is very unique. It's a very, very unique take. And I wouldn't change. I, I would change very little in the way this came together. Love it. Love it, buddy. All right. My fifth entry which is probably not the one you'd expect is my hunch. Okay. 2002, a Metacritic score of 87, IMDb 14th of all time, and 106.5 on my little uh, my little spreadsheet, and it clocks in at 2 hours and 59 minutes. 259, 2002. Um, I got nothing, I don't think, bud. Keep going. I will give you two, and then if I need to, a third cast member. The two I will give you at this point include David Wenham and Brad Dourif. Okay, you got to keep going. Those were just to mess with you. Sort of like Seven Samurai times like a million on an epic scale. 2002. Is this one of the Lord of the Rings? It is. Okay, so it's not the one I thought you were going to do. It is not. It is not Return of the King. It's the Two Towers. It's the Two Towers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually part of the discussion is 
why Two Towers and not Return of the King. And it's all about the ending. And I'm one of the people who will defend Return of the King to the to a T. I, I have no problem with the literal four endings of the movie. Uh, I understand why many people don't like them. And, and it's because of that controversy. And look, you really could cut one or two of them. You could easily get away with that and still have a phenomenal movie. I also don't think, and this is maybe the, the subtle difference of Return of the King and even Endgame, I don't think uh, Return of the King ends with as emotional, as a heavy and emotional punch as it could have. I don't feel, I felt that the, the biggest, uh, I, I'm sort of spoiling Return of the King because it's like a hundred year old, uh, well, it's actually a 70 year old book at this time point. So, sorry. If you don't want to hear the end of Return of the King, uh, I guess about, <laughs> we'll go for about four or five minutes on this one. So skip ahead. But this there's a scene nearing the end where Aragorn says to the hobbits, you bow, for, you bow to no one which is a beautiful scene and the heaviest emotional punch of the movie. Then two endings later, you see, (laughs) I'm going to make fun of it. Two endings later, you see them at the gray Havens where Gandalf and Frodo and Bilbo are going to go off in the, with the elves and, and, and move on in in this world. I thought building up to that scene, that that was going to be Jeremy in the movie theater crying an entire box of tissues. (laughs) And it wasn't, I think they missed I think they had a bigger emotional punch with, with Gandalf's fall in uh, Fellowship. I think they had a bigger emotional punch with his return in, in Two Towers. And the moment where he comes over the hill to join the fight at Helm's Deep is so huge that when Return of the King came to its ending, I just felt like I really enjoyed it, but I, want, I actually wanted more out of those endings. So now back to the Two Towers. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go there. You, you know, you. No, we, I we've love talked it. about me geeking out about about the Lord of the Rings for a while now. So there was there, there's a glimpse <laughs> on my sheet. It says Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Two Towers, maybe others. Let Jeremy talk. That's all it says. <laughs> I didn't. T- I, I don't have dates. I don't have notes. I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Two Towers is just great from start to finish. Every scene's necessary. By the way, I'll. If I'm really going strict about it, I would actually judge this from the extended cuts of each of the movies. So they all clock in close to four hours now. Holds up every second, every minute, every scene, every bit. You've got crazy character art and development. Every little person, right? Uh, Miranda Otto's character is this brilliant warrior princess who who isn't supposed to be fighting and, and rebels against her own society. Falling in love with Aragorn, who's hundreds of years old and and is in love with an elf maiden and all of these things work and then build up to two of the craziest battle scenes you had ever seen by that point. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's 2002. So you've got a little, it's just a little bit past Phantom Menace and Phantom Menace is another kind of signature movie, not just because it's bad, but because it has that, it was the first of those like crazy amounts of robots against crazy amounts of whatever they were, Gungans and stuff uh, in, in this kind of, unbelievable battle scene the the ents taking down saruman's tower combined with the actual battle at helm's deep are so so much better done than just two hordes of masses of stuff fighting at each other uh that helm's deep sequence is unreal i just rewatched. uh i just rewatched most of two towers actually about a week or two ago and i was amazed at how well it hold up 
amazed at how much I really still enjoyed it, how gripping it was, how good a job Peter Jackson did at creating this really tense scene that basically is like mostly CGI. You know, it's yeah. gorgeous. If I have, I have one bone to pick with this entire movie, actually. And that is uh, Halder, one of the elves. He's the blonde elf who brings the elves in to sell, stand with them at Helm's Deep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. He, he dies by some rando orc. And that really bugs me to this day because the elves are like, the elves are all like Superman. Okay. Like every elf in Lord of the Rings is sort of a, is, is sort of a mild Superman. Right. So to have some rando orc just manage to kill this elf and like just with an ax. And, and he's one of the really like strong elves just bugs me to this day. I still, I don't mind Halder dying. I don't mind all that kind of stuff, but it should have been even more like, he should have been single-handedly fighting off like 200 orcs or something like that. I felt they kind of throw him out with the water a little bit, the bathwater a little bit. So anyhow, love Two Towers. Want to stop geeking out about it for too much longer. But it, it to me, is the tightest use of time in, in, in a lot of storytelling in all of these movies. I knew it was coming. <laughs> it was totally worth it. Great third act, wonderful finish. You'd score a 108. I would be the highest one. I love hearing <laughs> about you talk about the stuff you like. Uh, no, listen, I literally wrote down, let Jeremy talk about this. The only thing that I will say is that uh, Group of Reluctant Heroes also fits this one. <laughs> True. Like if I, if I just use my Seven Samurai thing again, same deal. In order to save the world, a group of reluctant heroes must assemble to fight off the bad guys for a group of good guys. There you go. That, that was my shtick. Sort of like Seven Samurai, times like a million. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I love this. I'm really glad you got to do it. I think we should really let you loose one of these days on all of them because I, you make me want to enjoy those movies more. That's how much you like them, and that's really, that's really cool. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks, buddy. And let's hear Round Us Out. My last one is going to be totally different. We're going in a completely different direction. But it's December 25th, 2013. Only a 75 on Metacritic, which I'm a little surprised about, but it's probably pretty close to right. It clocks in at exactly three hours. What was the year again? 2013. Hmm. 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 No, I got nothing. What you got? Give me something else. Let's give you Fran Lebowitz, Kyle Chandler, Thomas Middleditch, Christine Ebersol, John Favreau. If I go any deeper, you're definitely going to start figuring it out. Oh my goodness, 2013 with that cast. I, I'm I'm like I'm sure I've seen this, and I'm sure I'm going to do the oh how did I forget this one. All right, let's hear some shtick. Uh, a con man finds a home and a real job and cons himself into thinking he's untouchable and finds out he was very wrong. I, I know I know this movie and I don't know this. What, what, I, I'm going to be very annoyed very so shortly here. The film broke the Guinness Book of World Record for most swearing in a single movie with 681 ex- expletives. Wait, is this Wolf of Wall Street? It is Wolf of Wall Street. Ah... There we go. Two quick, interesting trivia bits, and then I want to talk about why the movie made the list. So Jonah Hill took the SAG minimum just to work with Scorsese on this, and that makes me like Jonah Hill so much. He seems likable. He does. I I, I used to prefer fat Jonah Hill, and then skinny <laughs> Jonah Hill kind of got woke, and I was like, I like skinny Jonah Hill too. 
But I think I'm always going to prefer Moneyball Fat Jonah Hill as my favorite Jonah Hill. Um, I'm happy he's healthy, though. He looks great. Uh, this grossed $392 million worldwide, which is Scorsese's highest grossing film ever, which I guess surprised me. But then again, based on the timing, maybe not. So why it's on the list. I actually think this movie is like wildly good. And I think it gets I think it gets a little bit of guff for being crazy and wild and whatever. But like, I actually think it's really tight. Like the second this movie came to mind, the second you said that this was going to be the category last week, this is what came to my mind. And I since then have been spending, again, very similar to Departed, going through, going, where was it bloated? And I, I can't, all of it makes, all of it's necessary. You need every single moment in this movie to make it really tell the story. And I think I can sort of drop everything of why this movie works into the longest sequence, the longest single sequence of the film, which is the Quaalude scene. So in the Quaalude scene, which takes forever, by the way, it's like a 15-minute, 20-minute deal, but it's supposed to because he's on a drug that slows you down. And still in that scene, it's slow but not dragging. Like there's like that scene is is appropriately paced. Like watching him struggle to figure it out, seeing him emote and you know improv, which is a big thing for Scorsese. He lets people get off the off the rails and, and ad lib. That's a big part of what he does. Like letting him, watching him slither his body into the car, and then that entire sequence of throwing the ham on Jonah Hill. There's so much happening in that scene, and it takes forever because they're moving at a at like a sloth pace, and it doesn't feel slow. So for me, that's that whole movie. That right. whole movie is just one ridiculous thing after the other, after the other, compounding on top of one another to this like huge crescendo of disaster, dumpster fire. This is exactly how it's supposed to end. And it's funny because I, I kind of didn't want to put eyebrows on the list twice, but the more I was looking at my other options, there the other three movies I would have talked about instead of this, I've talked about on the podcast before and I didn't want to do them. And Fair so- enough. I just thought this one, like being able to sum it up and just watch the Quaalude scene, and that's how the whole movie was paced. <laughs> it's funny that you say that. I remember when I when I first saw it, that same feeling, like on the Quaalude scene, like wow, there's not much happening here, and I'm loving it. Yeah, like, but I loved every second like of every it. motion. Yeah, and by yeah. the way, I had this in Pong. Here was my quick. Uh, here was my quick take. Uh, corrupt banker trashes a very fancy car while his girlfriend takes a weird bath. Yeah, that's also great. That's a great description. <laughs> uh, great list. So now we're going to have our honorable mention section. Now I had, I've been playing with names on this actually JT for a couple of days since we first sort of had this idea. I, I started with, cause you know, we're going to keep all our stuff personal, like the Shawshanks and the Pongs and everything. So I started by thinking, like, the whole point of what we're trying to do is not keep talking about the same movies over and over again, but clearly we love certain movies. So at first I was playing off the Uzanadus, which would combine <laughs> The Secret of the Ooze with Xanadu. But I also have to recognize that those aren't actually good movies. So I think right. we're going to save Uzanadu for some other future category. Okay. okay. So I'll just bookmark that. Instead, I've replaced it. And I will reveal one of my honorable mentions as I go with this. I've replaced this as the, if you, if you'll accept it and I'm open, you know, we we can keep playing with this, but what do you think of the Alpha Deus list? (laughs) I like Alpha Deus. I like Alpha Deus a lot, actually. (laughs) 
because my first honorable mention was Amadeus, which actually scored very, very high when with my whole rubric as a near perfect movie that does in fact clock in fairly long. So, and then I was thinking about you and Elf, and we keep bringing that one up, and I was like, you know, even though Elf's not two and a half hours, but it should be. <laughs> I wish it was. I'll tell you what, not for nothing, there's a really good documentary on the making of Elf that only made me like it more. It nice. only made me like it more. Uh, I love, uh, yeah, so Alpha Deus is great. So I have an Alpha Deus, but I want to give you, I have three of them, but I want to I give you my plot descriptions and see if you can guess them based on the stuff that we've talked about before. Go for so, it. I actually didn't, I didn't write anything about these. These to me were going to be sort of Shawshank-ish, like I'm just going to name mine and move on. So, uh, yeah. so let's do yours though. I'll do the same. It's just, so Marky Mark gets funky for money. Is that um, uh, um, Boogie Boogie Nights? Boogie Nights, yep. Nice, good. Uh, I'll give you Jason Bourne and Batman go racing in the Lore Valley. <laughs> oh, I have that uh, GT versus GT. That's <laughs> good. That's <laughs> good. And then my last one is a Kiwi actor fights Chris Chambers' little brother for the Empire. <laughs> Chris Chambers. I don't know. Uh, for the Empire. I don't know. What you get? What is that? That's Gladiator. And that oddly ah. is the second, that's the second Stand By Me reference in this episode because Chris Chambers was Joaquin Phoenix or was River Phoenix's name in Stand By Me. Nice. 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 My uh, honorary list was Return of the King, uh, Endgame, Amadeus. And this is where I was, where I had thrown Schindler's list as the belongs in the list, but don't feel like talking about today. Fair. So sh- should we uh, have a little pong? Let's pong. So what we'll do, uh, we will give a year runtime and then the synopsis. You can go first, sir. Anton Ego and Obi-Wan team up to unite Dr. Zhivago and Zorba, not Yorba, the Greek. Oh my gosh, this is fun, but I can't. It's from 1960. Sorry, I, I forgot this part. 1962, three hours and 48 minutes long. With 100 Metacritic score. Oh no! How do I not have something that has a 100? I don't know what this is. Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, that's why. You know, it's funny is I I did know that this was super long and I thought about it, but then I was like, I couldn't tell you a single thing about this movie. I've seen it once and couldn't say anything else. So that's why it's on the list. Fair enough. Uh, let's do 1992. Clocks in at three hours and 22 minutes. Tired of oppression, a very strong leader emerges to lead a movement. No idea. Denzel Washington and Malcolm X. Oh, good one. 1983, two hours and 50 minutes. It's a remake of a classic 1932 movie about the rise and fall of a gangster. 1983. I don't have this one either. Oh, man. Oh, you're going to be upset with yourself on this one. That's Scarface. So, you know, you know what? I don't like Scarface. Wait, hold on a sec. We had this whole talk. You about uh, Mary Antonia Banderas, and and she's always from Scarface for you. But does that mean you associate her with her and you don't like the movie? I associate it with her, but yeah, Scarface has a very particular place in like hip hop culture, and it literally turned me off to the movie because uh-huh. I love hip hop, but like it just became such a thing that it, like got overblown as like the greatest movie ever. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's fine, but I, I like it, and it, it probably should have been on my list. I did, I I did genuinely forget about it, so that's it's a good call. Uh, let's do 1960 runtime of three hours and 17 minutes. A slave becomes a leader of slaves and takes over lots of stuff with horses. Is it Ben-Hur? Spartacus. Spartacus. Okay. Cause I have for 1959, three hours and 32 minutes. It's like chariots of fire, but no fire, less running and more chariots. 
Yeah, Ben Hur. <laughs> That's a great description of Ben Hur. <laughs> oh, I love that description so much. <laughs> All right, you can go. What's next? Well, I just did. You got to go again. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's <laughs> do 1988, uh, two hours and 43 minutes. A small boy goes from captured to king and ends an era. I don't know. Uh, oh, Last Emperor? Great. The Last yeah. Emperor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2008, two hours and 32 minutes. A criminally insane antagonist uses pencils and dump trucks to cause chaos. Pencils and dump trucks? Is this There Will Be Blood? No, it's The Dark Knight. Oh, funny. So I have The Dark Knight too, and I said a rich guy goes head to head with a loose cannon in costumes. Nice. Yeah, that's good. As I say, 2008. So I'll give you 2008. There will be blood, which is a giveaway. But Daniel Day-Lewis digs and stuff and is amazing. <laughs> uh, 1966, two hours and 58 minutes. Three men are judged solely on the basis of their appearance. Yeah, a, a bandit and a bad guy try to kill everyone and, and each other until money's involved. <laughs> so is this good, bad, and the ugly? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's do... 2004, two hours and 32 minutes. An amazing musician with an awful backstory makes sunglasses really popular. Ray? Yeah. <laughs> 1992, two hours, 36 minutes. Uh, a visually impaired veteran takes a young student on an adventure in Manhattan. Wait a minute. Is Son of a Woman that long? Yes. Oh, no. How did I miss Son of a Woman? I love that movie. How long is that? 236. Oh, son of a gun. Oh, what a great one, Jer. All right, 1957, two hours and 41 minutes, the longest movie about building a bridge ever. Look, first you tell us to build it, then you want us to blow it up. Can you make up your minds already? Yeah, that's right. Bridge on the River Kwai, yeah. <laughs> uh, 2012, two hours and 45 minutes, not to be confused with the most prominent European jazz musician of all time. Oh, no. Oh, no, I don't know. What is it? Well, the jazz musician would be Django Reinhardt. And oh, the movie would Jane. be Django and Jane. Very good. Uh, all right, let's stick with 2012. Uh, two hours and 37 minutes. Uh, a woman plays the the longest game of hide and seek and wins. <laughs> Panic Room? Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> you know, I never saw it. Oh, really? You So that actually no, I, made me yeah. think... Yeah, it's good. Jessica yes. Jassin can really act. She's good. 1968, two hours and 45 minutes. Man with harmonica wreaks havoc on bad guys. 1960. I don't know, but it sounds great. It's Once Upon a Time in the West. You know, I've never seen that. Oh, I went on this streak of, of old Westerns and such a couple of years back and had no clue how good some of these movies are. And this is this is one of them. All right, I'll put that on the list. So I'll stay in a similar vein. 2019, two hours and 41 minutes. A historical event goes very differently because Brad Pitt. Is that Once Upon, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? <laughs> yes, it is. I still haven't seen it, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's on the list. 2014, two hours, 49 minutes. Sort of a big timey-wimey story with some cool and highly impractical robots. 2014 with robots. I don't know. Interstellar. Oh, I never saw it. Oh, yeah, it's good. Uh, I'll stick with 2014, two hours and 45 minutes. The most expensive and well-edited home movie of all time. I don't know. What, what is it? Boyhood. 
I don't even know what what is that. Boyhood's the one with Ethan Hawke that was filmed over fourteen years with the same guys. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, kind of an oddball one, and it's actually not a super great movie, but I just kind of wanted on here anyway. At uh, 1999, two hours and 40 minutes, a composer and a lyricist team up one last time to produce their greatest work ever, which they basically don't really actually perform in the movie. This is 1999 about a composer and a lyricist. Mm. Oh, this feels like a thing I should know because I like both of those words. I don't know. It's topsy-turvy. It's about Gilbert and Sullivan who oh, I wow. mentioned Pirates and Penzance a while ago. It was, I found it actually a disappointing movie, but a lot of people think it's phenomenal. Eh, that was okay. Fair enough. Uh, all right, let's do 1998, two hours and 49 minutes. Absurd risk is taken for a single life during terrifying times. Or I could do the same thing I've been doing, which is in order to save, instead of the world, a person, <laughs> a group of reluctant heroes are assembled to fight off bad guys for one good guy. An incredible amount of soldiers die to rescue one member of a quartet. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> uh, 1982, three hours and 11. I'm getting hungry just watching this guy get so skinny. 1982, and he gets skinny. 1982, 1982, he gets skinny. I got nothing. <laughs> it's a very cynical perspective on Gandhi. <laughs> uh- <laughs> Oh, man, that really hit me in the funny because I didn't see it coming. Oh, boy, that's funny. I like that a lot. Oh, I like that a lot. Uh, Okay, let's do – oh, man, that's funny. Uh, Let's do 2002, two hours and 47 minutes, dead rabbits and natives fight for the five corners. Dead rabbits? I don't know. This is Gangs of New York, which I'm going to shout out uh, my only other Jeremy friend who the first time I ever hung out with him, we went and saw this together and it is very bloated and literally it was just like staring at each other for a long time going, are we going to be friends now? Because this movie's taking forever. (laughs) Uh, I actually didn't see that one either. I heard it was too violent for me. It would have been. Yeah. 1970, two hours, 52 minutes. I inform my opponent that he is an illegitimate child and that I am familiar with his publication. Oh, no, this is going to be very funny, but I can't think of it. Well, if you know it and you get that, I'm referencing a quote uh, from Patton. Oh, wow, Patton. Yeah, for, that's a. I didn't think of that movie and it would have been long. So that makes sense. Good call. Because the quote is Rommel, you bastard. I read your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. Uh, let's do 2002, two hours and 30 minutes on the nose. Tall man with fun hat makes speeches and then makes enemies. Tall man with fun hat. Go on. Lincoln. Uh, 1995, two hours and 15 minutes. In a previous movie, we were father and son, yet now we're playing cops and robbers. I don't know. That's Heat. Oh, oh, Heat is definitely more than two and a half hours, JT. Oh, no. I I would have thought Heat would be on your list. Yeah, I just forgot. I again, I try trying still not to like look stuff up if I don't have to. Plus, I don't even know how you would have like really looked this up, but. Uh, let's do 2016, two hours and 36 minutes. Uh, man faces the elements and one bad guy for almost three hours. Uh, not Castaway. The Revenant. <laughs> oh, never saw that one either. Yeah, I can't. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You That's the see bear, that. right? That's the bear. Yeah. Uh, this is an obscure one, but 2014 at exactly two and a half hours. I immediately after my last movie, I go undercover again and show some crazy martial arts skills. I don't know. It's the raid part two. 
And if you haven't oh. seen the raid uh, para movies there, let me tell you, that is some fun. There's some like crazy action. They take like long cuts, great real martial arts work. It's great. Didn't see it. No, I haven't seen either. Uh, let's do 2007, two hours and 37 minutes. Coach Boone gets real mad at friends for spilling on his $7,000 alpaca rug. No idea. This is American Gangster. <laughs> oh, I did see that. Yeah. Uh, last one for me, another clocking in right at two and a half hours from 1967. A very unclean, even number of troops take on a daring mission. The Dirty Dozen? Yeah. I'm only getting that because of your description. <laughs> nice sleuthing. Uh, the last one, which we did talk about, but we didn't do it here, is 2009, 233. A group of reluctant heroes set out to rid the world of a really bad guy. <laughs> which one's this? Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> nice. Do you have any others on your list? So I'm done. So let's. I wanted to do one more. Do you have any that you looked up that you couldn't believe weren't more than two and a half hours? I have five movies that hit my uh, right right off the money mark. So I have five movies that are within two minutes of two and a half hours that I thought were interesting to mention. So two two twenty eight and up. I have three that are two of them are two twenty seven and up, and then one of them just I thought was longer. So why don't you give us your five first? I don't have clever descriptions. These were just name in the movies. No, no, no. Just name. Yeah, just write them off. Inceptions, two hours, 28 minutes. That's on my list. Das Boot is two hours and 29 minutes. Never seen it. You should see it. It's good. Uh, Gone Girl, two hours and 29 minutes. Yeah, also saw, did see that and didn't look it up because I actually didn't love that movie. Didn't love it, but I thought it was, I thought it was very well done. Uh, 2001 <laughs> Space Odyssey is two hours and 29 minutes. Oh, interesting. Okay. And most importantly, because I absolutely wanted it on the list, but it misses by one minute, which is Infinity War, which is my favorite of the of that grouping. So look that one up. So that's on my list. The only ones that you hit that I that I had Apocalypse Now is two twenty seven, mm. which I thought was going to be over. And then this one we've talked about it at length, so I don't want to get into it. But like I couldn't believe the Matrix was only two sixteen. I really felt right? like that had to be two thirty, and it wasn't even close. I'm like, wow, how's that not longer? Uh, so yeah, that's it. Anything else? That's it. That's very. That was that was very fun. It feels like we've been talking about this for a long time though, but. Before we go, JT, what are we going to be talking about next week? So I think I've, I've kind of been struggling because there was a part of me that wanted to stay in this particular realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, you know, one of the things that I have been sort of like most grateful for during this podcast year is that we're buddies. I really yeah. like that we're buddies. Where are you going with this, buddy? So next week, I want to do the top five on-screen duos. And do we have any rules or regulations on what constitutes an on-screen duo? Any duo that was not romantically involved. We'll, we'll, we'll take romantically involved off the table just because I feel like that's probably its own category at some point. But for this particular instance, they can be anything other than that. They could be pals. They could be friends. Could be a buddy cop. It could be... Uh, you know, any kind of thing where that just that pair is just awesome. Listen, if you want to pick Turner and Hooch, you feel free. <laughs> nah, man, that movie's way too bloated for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, couldn't agree more. Turner and Hooch, awfully bloated. But there's a ton of good pop cinema out there. Thanks for letting us be your wingman, everybody.